Welcome to Federal Insights, sponsored by Red Hat. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. The intelligence community is pursuing artificial intelligence across its mission and operational domains. For instance, AI opens new ways of understanding geospatial data. For more, I spoke with the research and development scientist for computer vision and machine learning at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, Natasha Krell. Tell us about research and development for computer vision and machine learning. Let's define what it is that your job actually entails. Let's start there. For sure, yeah, and, and thank you so much for having me on. So speaking from a more general point of view, NGA as a whole uh, within the AI space focuses primarily in machine learning and computer vision, uh, specifically object detection for computer vision, as well as natural ling- language processing. So my job as a machine learning and computer vision R&D scientist, um, I'm using ML and AI to uh, basically find objects in overhead satellite imagery that's a good portion of what I do in my day-to-day. And just a technical question to fill in my own understanding, natural language processing, how would that come to play in seeing something on an image and figuring out what it is? Because you can't ask it. Yeah, for sure. So natural language processing is gaining a lot of traction and attention out in academia and industry. I'm sure folks listening or uh, reading about this have probably heard or used ChatGPT. And so there's some really interesting advancements happening in industry and academia, especially in the space within large multimodal models. So this is where you're using both text and imagery to perhaps query imagery and gain more insight from the machine learning generated output. In the case of the generative large language model artificial intelligence programs, the common description relies on these models using text and documentation, feeding it into the algorithm, and then it generates stuff. I'm putting it crudely, but basically that's how it works. Can the large language model, if you substituted the word language, which people tend to think of as text and written documents, can that also be a large image library that could feed into a generative type of program? For sure. Yeah. So that's really the idea behind these large multimodal models. You're not only feeding in the text, but you also might be feeding in imagery such as remotely sensed imagery as a time series. Uh, You could also include other inputs such as video. Um, It's really bringing together these heterogeneous data sets into a large foundation model. Um, I do want to stress, though, that AI in general is not necessarily a silver bullet. So AI, machine learning, these foundation models, they really provide us with tools. So just have to caution that they're not going to necessarily solve all of our challenges. And there's also a lot to consider in the realm of security, bias, AI insurance, all of those aspects we have to both keep in mind and then balance with these exciting capabilities uh, within foundation models and, and large multimodal models. And just looking at this again from, and we'll get back to that, but the standpoint of, say, satellite imagery, it seems like the NGA would have two challenges or anyone trying to figure out what's down there from images taken up there. One is to identify something that actually is an object that might be man-made. And then once you know, well, that's not a natural object, then identifying what it is. Am I putting it in ways that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I I think that that makes a lot of sense. I know that I've heard our director of NGA, Vice Admiral Whitworth, talk about, you know, finding needles 
in a haystack. And it's not necessarily just one haystack, it's lots of haystack. And so AI is really helpful for, you know, detecting those objects and then also classifying what they may be. And considering the deluge or large amounts of data coming from satellites, AI is really, you know, one tool in our toolbox to process all that imagery and gain insights from it. Right. You might have multiple sources of imagery. Some could be visual or optical. Some could be from radiation outside of the visible spectrum. And so you could put them all into an algorithm to calculate what it might actually be. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a great point. So kind of going back to this idea of large multimodal models, even within the realm of imagery, there's lots of different types, whether it's um, electro-optical, synthetic aperture radar, SAR, thermal, you know, bringing all those imagery sets together in a large multimodal model is really the, I would say, the next stage and really the, the cutting edge of what's happening within AI. And a couple of years ago, I was talking to someone, I think from NGA, and one of the challenges was making sure that you could identify when something on the ground is in fact a circle, you know, as defined by, you know, geometry, all of the possible points that are equidistant from a given point, as opposed to an oval or something else. I, presuming that's one of the grand challenges. What are some of the other imagery challenges that occupy NGA's thinking where AI might come into play here? I think in general, just the vast amount of data and so data management in particular data storage infrastructure um, and compute are really important and can also kind of start to become expensive. So we can look at both on-prem as well as in the cloud uh, opportunities for, for storage infrastructure and compute. Yeah, there, there's many challenges, but I'd say that's, that's one of the big ones. Yeah, so just the infrastructure to support all of this because AI is in computer resource intensive, right? Yeah, and I also make the point too that people are really important and so making sure that our workforce is trained and formed on AI and machine learning as well as bringing in top STEM and AI talent into NGA specifically but also as well as the broader national security enterprise. It's both what's great, it's both a challenge and an opportunity and so anything that we can do to, to bolster our workforce both in terms of the folks already working in the SCIF to those that we're bringing inside is a really, really exciting aspect of this, too. Yeah. And speaking of people, I would think that AI can really maybe help productivity of people that are analyzing the imagery, because one of the objects of reviewing things in multiple images is finding out whether it's changed or not. And if it's something that is considered a potential threat, if there's a change there, an expansion of that spot on the earth, that might give people, you know, pause to take a closer look. On the other hand, you could save people from looking at the same thing over and over again because there's no change or there's, it's been re-identified or something. And if that can be done in a way that you could assure that it really hasn't changed, you could save people a lot of time, I would think. Yeah, yeah, I like the way that you frame that a lot. I think that is one of the big goals as well as exciting opportunities about AI is, you know, helping people do their jobs better, faster, as well as, I mean, even kind of day-to-day -day things like supporting individuals who code and, you know, using large language models to help them um, create code. It's not that these models are going to replace us writing the computer code, but they can be a tool. And so I think one way that somebody put it recently, it's almost like, you know, a Word document processor. The Word document is not going to write 
the text for you. You still have to input it, but it's a tool that helps you complete your job. Yeah, so there's basically then a mission type of set of use cases for artificial intelligence. And then there's an operational efficiency of just keeping the agency running at minimal resources side to AI use cases. Two buckets. For sure. Yep, definitely. All right. And I want to get more into that second category that is making things more efficient from an operational standpoint. And you talked about creation of code and writing of code. Tell us more how AI can operate in that particular activity, because you hear a lot about it, but not too many specifics. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not sure how much specifics I can give. I mean, I I think the the example I gave before, you know, it being a tool, um, like a, a word processor is good. I think another way to frame it too is like individuals still need kind of the foundational skills in knowing how to code. So, you know, having someone who doesn't code at all, you know, go straight to AI for code generation is not going to be that helpful. But if you have folks who already know how to code and then they're using, you know, these models to help them improve their code or sort of ask, you know, I'm stuck with this challenge, what what would you recommend? Um, I think that is a, a much more instructive use um, and having good training and programs to get folks, you know, using code, interacting with machine learning as part of their day-to-day, I think that's also a really important first step. Right. So it augments their skill rather than does the work that they would do otherwise. Exactly. Yep. And perhaps in that area of augmentation, then, since so much of program development is the use and application and integration of open source components that have already been coded, perhaps AI can help people choose the best and most secure and most, you know, bulletproof of maybe from a library of open source items that might do roughly the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it does. And you touched on a really important point, which which is security. Um, and this is something that's echoed and foot stomped in Biden's recent executive order, 14110, on safe, secure, and trustworthy development and use of artificial intelligence. This kind of direction coming from the top down is really important important guidance for us in moving forward. Um, and so, you know, you can't just take any machine learning or AI algorithm off the shelf. You really need to do rigorous verification and validation on those models and, and data that you're bringing in. And in the acquisition, say, of algorithms or related components that help you build an AI system, what is, what's the strategy for ensuring security in that supply chain to the NGA? Yeah, it's a great question. Any security processes in the acquisition process are obviously really important. And then working with the guidance that's provided, such as in Biden's EO, there's also some great guidance and documentation from the CDAO, the Department of Air Force Chief Data and Artificial Intelligence Office, as well as the JAKE, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. So I think, you know, working together in this challenge with other components um, who are also faced with this challenge is really important. Natasha Krell, Research and Development Scientist for Computer Vision and Machine Learning at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. We'll return with more of the interview after this short break. I'm Tom Temin.
Are you ready to uncover the secrets behind empowering the next generation of intelligence community professionals? Red Hat has years of experience helping agencies like yours modernize and propel their workforce. Whether through automation or training, we equip our customers within the community with the tools they need to enhance their ability to safeguard national interests. Red Hat is committed to providing you with a secure and compliant environment. Let's talk about moving your mission forward. Learn more at red.ht slash intelligence. Welcome back to our interview with Natasha Krell, research and development scientist for computer vision and machine learning at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Our topic is artificial intelligence. Our topic is artificial intelligence and its use cases. And I want to talk about data for a moment. You mentioned, you know, the resource intensivity of artificial intelligence activity, and data is a big part of that. How has AI changed or caused you to change the data and data management strategies, and what does it look like with respect to AI? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's something that our director talked about using AI to keep up with the deluge of information coming in and, you know, whether we're looking at solutions either in the cloud or or on-prem. And so, yeah, there's just so much information coming in that AI really is, you know, one of the tools that we're looking at to process and make inference from the large amounts of data uh, becoming available. Because it's not all NGA-generated data. You have vendors that you buy data from, and there's the other members of the intelligence community that also share data sets. Fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's fair to say. All right. And let's talk about development of AI models themselves. And how does it work? What's your approach? What are some of the, you know, the parameters and guardrails that you keep in mind, especially in light of that executive order? Yeah, so AI in general is very data hungry. So data management systems and processes are really important. There's also kind of, you know, interesting developments, and I would even say paradigm shifts happening with these foundation models, where in these foundation models, these are these large pre-trained models that are the starting points for natural language processing, NLP, and you basically fine-tune on smaller data sets. So you can take a huge model, such as a foundation model, and then fine-tune it on a specific use case. So kind of both truths can exist at the same time. There's They require data, and there's also the vantage point of taking in a large, already pre-trained model and then fine-tuning tuning it on a, on a smaller data set. Yeah, because on the one hand, you want to make sure that the data is sufficient that you can have reliance, you can feel like you have confidence in the results that you're getting. But on the other hand, if you use a small data set to train an algorithm, and then it starts getting more and more data beyond what you trained it with, then you've got the danger of bias coming in. Yeah, and bias can come in in a lot of places, whether it's from the data sets, the models, and then, you know, the algorithms themselves. So yeah, it's definitely something to be aware of and something that we have to balance at, at the end of the day. And the other challenge, and tell me how you deal with this one, is drift. The results might be perfect, you know, the first week, but then they skew over time because of different data coming in. And how do you get it to snap back to what it is you trained it to do maybe a long time ago? Yeah, my I've been thinking about this question, and my answer might surprise you a little bit. I think it boils down to really having people coming in with, you know, fresh ideas, bringing in, cutting in research and, and tools so that, you know, we are not having too many problems with model drift. Um, so again, both the training, 
of the existing workforce as well as bringing in top talent through uh, recruitment programs. You know, NGA has a wonderful internship program. I myself got into uh, the IC via the DOD scholarship. And so I think, you know, people are really at the center of these strategies for uh, avoiding entropy and, and model drift. And I suppose you would need a good set of human intelligence eyes to know the difference between drift or actually, hey, no, this is new insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, AI can never work just by itself. We really need humans as part of that process. Um, it, you know, might help make our jobs faster or more, work more efficient. But at the end of the day, we still need a pair of eyes to, to look and really verify, you know, what, what is the model output. And talk about maybe, if you would, the sharing of models and and knowledge, human knowledge, of the best way to go about AI deployment that occurs between the NGA and other members of the intelligence community. Yeah, great question. I'm not sure how much I'm able to speak to that. I mean, I can note that for certain missions, like within the Hatter humanitarian assistance and disaster relief space, as well as within kind of the climate security space, we do have like certain AI and machine learning initiatives that we're able to share, you know, publicly and um, work with other government partners in different organizations. So more from the vantage point of, yeah, humanitarian assistance and climate security, um, we have existing projects where certainly sharing output models, data, insights, that there's definitely a good track record of that. Because, you know, an agency like the Drug Enforcement Administration, that's part of the intelligence community, and you wouldn't normally conflate that in its mission with what, say, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency has in its mission. But could there also be, though, simply an algorithm that is good at image processing and image detection and identification work for NGA, and perhaps it could work very well in a totally different domain, trained with totally different data. Does that, does that happen? Yeah, I'm not sure that I can speak to it as much. I mean, I know that one of the challenges that we're launching um, in the new year, I think in January, is, has to do with illegal fishing. Um, and so I'm, I'm more familiar with, with these cases such as that. Yeah, well, that leads to my next question. Cybersecurity is a big area for AI. And what is the NGA sort of angle on the cybersecurity threat and, and AI? Yeah, but unfortunately not as much of my bread and butter to talk about cybersecurity. Of course, I know that it's it's super important. And so I I would lean on, you know, the direction coming from the executive order from the CDAO, the Jake, on topics such like such as that. Sure, yeah, we're getting a little bit out of your swim lane here, and I totally understand. Let's get back to research and development for computer vision and machine learning. I want to just, I want to get deeper understanding of what the challenges are there that could be enhanced by AI, but, you know, what's going on in that world that's that's important? Yeah, I mean, I I think, one, just the the sheer amount of data coming in, um, you know, making sure that we are following the state of the art in academia and industry and then implementing it as well as yes data storage and and compute um, I would say those are some some of the larger challenges I mean you are a research and development scientist and so does your work involve just looking at the literature that's out there and the research out there or do you have your own original research programs going on also yeah great question I mean for me specifically I do have my own research uh, I'd call it more of a project than a program but I was fortunate, and this is, again, um, 
kind of ties back to that recruitment piece and, and why uh, I would recommend, you know, anyone with a STEM background or if you have a student who's in STEM in your life to consider um, the IC or federal government overall for, for their career. Um, so I'm a DOD SMART Scholar and the SMART Scholarship Program stands for Science, Mathematics and Research for Transformation. And so I was supported by the DOD in completing my PhD. And then when I started working at NGA, I had the opportunity to apply for um, some research funding to carry some of my PhD research into my, my research at NGA. So in terms of the specific project that I'm looking at, um, I recently presented at a conference called NeurIPS and wrote a research paper on using computer vision object detection to identify telecommunications infrastructure, specifically cell phone towers in sub-Saharan Africa. So for me specifically, that's what I spend um, most of my day on in, in terms of the, the computer vision land. And, and I think is a good kind of, just is a good thing to mention for folks that, you know, there is interesting research happening within NGA where, especially with this smart scholarship program, you can sort of self-direct where, where you want to go. And also for me, it helps me, you know, make sure that I'm keeping up with state of the art, you know, reading research articles um, and then implementing it for a use case that has both humanitarian as well as defense uh, implications. And on that topic of identifying the telecom and electrical infrastructure, do you ever get fooled by those cell phone towers that are decorated to look like big pine trees? <laughs> yes, it's, it's, a funny, it's a funny phenomenon. So one thing that I did at, in scoping my research problem is that I, I focus more on cell phone towers that are in rural landscapes and that it's for that exact reason. Um, in more urban environments, you can sometimes have cell phone towers that are just described as trees or, you know, just not really identifiable. And so I make my research question a little bit more constrained and looking at specifically rural cell phone towers that tend to not be, um, you know, disguised as trees or other <laughs> objects. I don't know what people have against towers anyway. I think they're very handsome structures, even if they're in the middle of the rural area. So that's just personal bias. Yeah. <laughs> Natasha Krell, Research and Development Scientist for Computer Vision and Machine Learning at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. To hear this interview again or share it with colleagues, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Insights. I'm Tom Temin. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights, sponsored by Red Hat on Federal News Network. Are you ready to uncover the secrets behind empowering the next generation of intelligence community professionals? Red Hat has years of experience helping agencies like yours modernize and propel their workforce. Whether through automation or training, we equip our customers within the community with the tools they need to enhance their ability to safeguard national interests. Red Hat is committed to providing you with a secure and compliant environment. Let's talk about moving your mission forward. Learn more at red.ht intelligence. The impact of a meal goes well beyond feeding our bodies. Because when people don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from, they can truly thrive, like Marta. And now we'll hear from our class valedictorian, who with our hard work never ceases to amaze us. Please welcome Marta Moreno. And Alex. Hey, Alex. How did the interview go? I did it! I got the job! I can't believe it! I knew it. Let's meet up later to celebrate. And Diego. Mom! 
I got first place at the science fair with my volcano project. That's amazing, sweetie. Congratulations. Because when people are fed, futures are nourished, and everyone deserves to live a full life. Join the movement to end hunger at feedingamerica.org slash act now. Feedingamerica.org slash act now. A public service announcement brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.